Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We're in this series of Listen. We've been looking at this for quite some time. Um, and uh, we have been looking at it through the, um, the eyes and the ears of this verse that um, appears seven times in the book of Revelation. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Also, welcome to the Dunfords this morning, all the way from Wales. Wales loss, Lurgan's gain. So their first morning with us, we're delighted that you finally come back um, to Lurgan. Um, yes, we've been journeying around this verse and excited about it, understanding that if ever there was a time to really listen, now is that time. <clears throat> if ever there was a time to listen to the voice and to the whisper of the Holy Spirit, it must be now. And so what we've been doing, we've been looking um, over the last three weeks um, through the story of Advent, and we've been looking at how to listen to what the Spirit has sent to us, even out of these familiar stories in the Bible, stories like Zechariah and Elizabeth, who when Zechariah went into the temple and the angel appeared to him and said, the Lord has heard your prayer. I wonder actually, when was the last time he had prayed that prayer? Like he's old, Elizabeth's old. Maybe the shock was that they hadn't prayed that prayer for many, many, many years and had long since given up. And then the angel comes and said, no, it was heard when it was prayed. And now the answer is about to come. Last week, we looked at Joseph and Mary, and we looked at some of the um, interruptions that come in life and how we can handle those interruptions. What I want to do today is just take the first seven verses of um, Luke chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, um, turn to it or look it up on your phone and follow along. I'm reading it in the NIV, the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at some life lessons in this passage this morning. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while um, Quirinius was a governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem and the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Interesting passage. No room in the inn. All right. Um, two things strike me in particular around this verse and around this short passage is that one is the amazing way in which God is in control of everything. God is in control of everything and display in these verses. And the other thing is the way they actually start to reveal the character of God to us. They reveal who God really is. They show us the heart of God. Um, as he moves into this world to save his people. Have you ever thought in your life um, uh, that uh, one of those moments where you've asked yourself the question, why now, Lord? Or why me, Lord? Or 
This timing doesn't seem to make sense to me. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're maybe saying, Lord, I don't even like being here. I'd rather be there. I'd rather be somewhere else. I'm, I'm not happy at the moment. I'm lonely. I feel a hopelessness within me. Um, or maybe even the circumstances of your life right now don't actually make that much sense. If you've ever been there, then um, you, you can understand that, that, that the Lord maybe is at work in the midst of those situations. And if you're in, no, in, in that place at the moment, then let's jump right in and look at some of the life lessons today. Life lesson number one is that God's timing seldom makes uh, any sense to us. It seldom lines up with ours. There's a great little verse in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that I love. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's a very powerful thing. Now, if you'd have been living, if we'd have been one of those faithful Jewish people back in the days when Jesus was born, and we had been thinking about our nation and our national heritage, it would not have been the high point of our national history. Um, you see, a thousand years before Jesus was born, Israel was one of the superpowers of the world. David, King David, under his rule, Israel had become one of the greatest kingdoms uh, in the Mediterranean world. And then Solomon followed in after um, the King David with 40 years of peace, and people traveled from the Far East. They traveled from um, Africa, from literally all over the world to seek the king's wisdom. It was a very powerful nation. And this was not the way it was around the time of the birth of Jesus that had suffered the division of the northern and southern kingdoms years before. The Assyrians had taken over the northern kingdom and exiled all its members. Some of the southern kingdom were exiled as well. The once mighty Israel is nothing more than a petty state of a pagan Roman oppressor. That's the, the timing of this right now. And it's fascinating to me um, that Luke delights in telling Theophilus, who he wrote this to, you'll see in chapter 1, and all the early Christians who were hearing the gospel, he's telling them, he's saying, guess how God displays his sovereignty in the birth of the Messiah. Well, he has this Roman emperor who, who is the most powerful person in the world at this moment in time, and his regional representative that we read about here, Quinarius, or however you pronounce that word, the, the governor of Syria, and he's them all lined up like ducks in a row. <laughs> That's how God works. It's incredible. And you may feel like, like pawns in the hand of the awesome Roman emperor who, and this incredible, efficient administration. But in fact, Caesar Augustus, who just happened to be, um, the grand nephew of Julius Caesar, is just a pawn to do the bidding of God. Our times are in God's hands. God is sovereign, and he will use, if he needs be, the most powerful people and the most powerful empire on earth to do his bidding because he rules over all. And let me humbly suggest to you this morning, right now, it's important for you to know that God reigns, and the most powerful people on the earth at this moment in time, are but pawns in his hand. God reigns and God rules. Lesson number two, uh, not only does God's timing not often line up with our timing, never take the place you're in 
for granted. Never take the place you're in for granted. Now, we know that Micah 6.2 prophesies that Jesus, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. We know that. Um, but how in the wide world is God going to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem? How is that going to work? Well, no problem. He's got a Roman empire. He's got a Roman governor in Syria. That'll do just fine. He's got Jewish administrators who will say, you know, the best thing to do this year, we've never done this before, but the best thing to do is just get people to all to go to their own heritage, to go to their own place of birth for um, aligning it all up. And, and, and they're, in a way, he gets everybody to their hometown. Joseph and Mary are going to make their way all the way from Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem so that a prophecy would be fulfilled. That's the way that God works. Now, you know, you may be wondering, Lord, why have you, were, why, why have you me here? Why am I in this place and not this place? Why is, is, is the situation you've placed me in right now that doesn't seem really that clear to me? How is that? How can that happen? Because I feel, God, that I need to be here. Well, if you need to be here and God needs you there, I can assure you that his, his plans will work out that he will get you exactly where he needs you to be. I love the old hymn that um, W.F. Floyd penned in the early 1800s. My times are in your hands. My God, I leave them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I leave entirely in thy care. You can be assured of this. God has you exactly where he needs you. The place that you're in, don't take it for granted. Life lesson number three, the manner in which God does things, you couldn't dream it up. You couldn't make this up if you tried. The manner of Jesus' birth in this passage is startling. In verses 6 and 7, we have a, a window into the very heart of God. It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The description or the manner of Jesus' birth, the context into which he was born, reminds us of the greatness of God's love to us in the gospel. And we see a window into the heart and the, the very character of God, and especially we see something of his grace and love towards us through this Savior. Mankind has rebelled against him. We've chosen a piece of fruit over him. We've preferred to worship ourselves in our own dreams rather than on uh, our own ambitions rather than him. And in order to rescue us, the very people who have rejected him, he prepares his son to be born, not in glory, but in humility. It's incredible. Not in a palace of gold and silver, but in a feeding truck of unclean animals. Not in, clothed in silk and garments of, that are special, but in, in, in garments that have been cut in strips and wrapped around him to keep him warm, just like a peasant child would be. In other words, in this passage, we're seeing God humbling himself in the humbling of his son for our sake. It's a glorious picture of what Jesus does in the gospel. You see, whatever it takes, he does. Whatever it costs, he pays. Wherever he has to go, he goes. And whatever he has to bear, he bears. That's the humility of our incredible Savior. This Savior, you see, from the very moment of his birth begins to um, 
personally experienced the humiliation that we experience because of our sin. It's incredible. But he doesn't do this experience because of his own sin, because he never had any sin. In him, John would tell us, is no sin at all. He accepts this experience of humiliation because he's living for us in our place. He's going to die in our place, but he's living in our place. He moved into the neighborhood, so the very calamity that his people would experience because of sin, he would experience. Every disappointment that his people would experience because of sin, he will experience. Every rejection that people will experience, he will experience. He accepts our deserved circumstances and consequences for sin, lives in a humiliation of his life, that he can then crown with the humiliation of his death because it's the greatness of the love of God for his people who don't give a hoot about him. That's the incredible nature and character of this God. In the humbling of himself, he humbles himself and he moves right into the very place where people are. And I, I love this whole thing because there's something almost uniquely I didn't even know how to put this next phrase into, into words, so here's what I came up with. You just need to consider the absolute craziness of all this. It's absolutely crazy. It's, it's not just God's timing in the incarnation that's surprising. It's not just how God gets Mary and Joseph to the right place for the incarnation that's surprising. But it's the craziness that God's power is displayed in weakness. You know, two weeks ago, uh, Maddie read for us the, the, the word of God where the angel comes to Mary and he says, Greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Interesting, isn't it? Um, and if we had never read this story, we'd be very surprised that a few sentences afterwards and nine months in time afterwards, Greetings to you, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. To that very same woman, nine months later, he would say, there's no room in the inn. Like those two don't go together, sure they don't. Greetings, highly favored one, and sorry, Mrs. Joseph, but the rooms are all taken up, but there's a little outhouse out the back. Like you can't actually line those two statements up. We, we would not have guessed that the angel would, who said, he shall be great, and he, the, the, he shall be called the son of the most highest, that, that it would be said of him, he will be led in a feeding truck. You, 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 I don't know about you, but the craziness of us that I, I struggle to align those two things in my head. It's like God saying, I'm, I'm with you, the Lord says. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, but there's no place for you to spend the night. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, but put him right over in there where the cows eat straw. <laughs> I understand the uniqueness of this, of course, in the, in the, in, where we stand in, in redemptive history. Looking back, we can understand that. But I, I think it's the way it is for believers right across the world today. The Lord says, I, I love you, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. But the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's not much more we can do for you. The Lord says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Um, but for some of you, your partner has said, I don't love you anymore, and I found somebody else. Hard, hard to marry those two statements, isn't it? 
The Lord says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but your daughter says, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. The Lord says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but something happens and you say, I'm sorry for your loss. The circumstances seem to negate the blessing and the promise, don't they? And they begin to realize, and we can see even from this passage 2,000 years ago, the absolute craziness of it is that we live in a world that's now and not yet. That we get those supreme moments where the now breaks in and we see the absolute blessing of God and we, we applaud it and we think it's amazing and then someone we love dies and we realize that we're living in a world that's not fully yet consummated. And we have to try and marry it up, haven't we? And, and when those circumstances come, you, you, if you're like me, you'd say, Lord, I just wish you would send me an angel and tell me that you love me and you'd care for me because if, if that happened then, I truly believe I wouldn't be hanging here by my fingertips if an angel appeared and spoke to me. Well, here's the point. Mary and Joseph did have an angel appear to them. And, and they're here right now in our story, hanging on by their fingertips. They're here trying to work out how the circumstances and the promises of God could be true in this moment when this son who was um, conceived in her by the Holy Spirit doesn't even have a room to lie in. Doesn't, doesn't work out, sure it doesn't. And, and I love this. He, he, you see, here's the thing. He's not going to display the power of his promise in the midst of delightful circumstances. He's going to display the power of his promises in the worst circumstances you can imagine. And some of you think the circumstances can ruin your life. Well, I'm here to tell you that, or some of you maybe actually think circumstances have ruined your life. Well, I'm here to tell you today that circumstances can't ruin your life. Circumstances can't ruin your life. The only thing can ruin your life is the way you respond to circumstances. And because this passage God has sent to us, there is no circumstance, there is no situation, there is no place where my power can't be displayed. That's what he's saying to us. There is no circumstance where my promises can't come to bear. So wherever you are today, in the absolute craziness of it all, can I present you to a God who works when you're hanging on by your fingerprints, fingertips? Can I present you a God who is in the midst of situations just like that? So hear me loud and clear. This is what God has sent you today. Trust me. Believe in me. And when you question why, Lord, and it's bouncing around the inside of your head like a pinball machine, you can add to that why question, Lord, how can I glorify you in this? How can I know you more in what you're doing, even in these difficult things? God, how can, because I know you want to bring glory to your name, so how can I do that even in the midst of, of this. You see, you might say, Lord, I don't understand your timing, and I don't like the place I'm in, and I'm trying to fi fi figure out the manner of this, but the craziness of it makes me realize that it's just got to be you in the middle of it all. If it wasn't you, it wouldn't work. I remember in my darkest hours saying to God, God, if everything I've ever learned about you is true, then I'll make it. And if it's not, I'm, I'm lost anyway. And so in the midst of this place that you have me now, this place that maybe I don't even want to be or I don't understand, what about just showing me you? Isn't that a great prayer? 
Aren't you glad that people who saw and heard angels have to do the same thing that you and I have to do? They, they, they just have to believe. And so it comes to our last point. God's power is always displayed in our weakness. I love that. God displays his power most greatly in our weakness. I told you this story um, maybe about a year ago, but it's a story that I love Helen Keller stuff. Um, I love some of the things she said. And when, when we come to trust in God and we understand that God gives us power and his mercy and his grace and his spirit, we need to know that he gives it extravagantly. God doesn't hold back. He doesn't give things in little pieces, all right? The word give in the Bible actually describes someone, the, 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 the Greek analogy of the word give is like somebody who would, would get a whole orchestra to do something that uh, uh, one member of a band could do. Imagine you were, um, you were proposing to your girlfriend and you, you, got a, you, you got a whole orchestra to be in the room when somebody, somebody with a guitar could have done the same job, but you've just went extravagant. You've went over and above. That's what the word give means. And so Helen Keller was one of those people. This is what some of the things she said. She said, life is either a daring adventure or there's nothing at all. Now, it's quite a statement, but when it comes from somebody who was born deaf and blind, it means so much more. She said, alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much Another one of her sayings was, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. Let me tell you a little bit as we close. On the advice of Dr. Alexander Graham Bell, when Helen was born, as I say, both deaf and blind, um, the parents, uh, this doctor suggested that Helen could do with a, a mentor or a tutor or somebody who could be with her um, 24-7. And so they sent a teacher from Perkins Institution for the Blind in Boston, Massachusetts, a girl called Anne Sullivan. Anne Sullivan was a 19-year-old orphan girl and was chosen for the task to instruct the now six-year-old deaf and blind Helen Keller. It was the beginning of a close and lifelong um, friendship between them. And by means of a manual uh, alphabet, Anne spelled into Helen's hands words like doll and puppy. And, and two years later, actually, Helen was reading and writing Braille fluently. At 10, Helen learned different sounds by placing her fingers on Anne's larynx and feeling as she would say, hearing the vibrations. And she would learn words. And so later, Helen went to Radfield College where Anne spelled the lectures into her hand. After graduating with honors, this is a girl, deaf and blind, Helen decided to devote her life to helping blind and deaf people. And as part of that endeavor, she wrote many books and articles and traveled the world making speeches and since her speeches weren't intelligible to anybody, Anne would translate those for her to her um, audiences. Their companionship lasted 50 years. And Anne died in 1936. And Helen wrote this about her lifelong friend. This is what she wrote. She said, uh, My teacher is so near to me that I scarcely think of myself apart from her. I feel that her being is inseparable from my own and that the footsteps of my life are in hers. All the best of me 
belongs to her. There's not a talent or an inspiration or a joy in me that has not been awakened by her loving touch. Can I say to you as I close that in our life lessons today, there's many things that we could maybe grab from them. We could understand that God's timing doesn't seldom line up with ours. The place you're in mightn't be the place that you actually want to stay, but don't take it for granted. The manner in which God does things, listen, I tell you, life can turn in a penny, and it can change like that. And then you begin to just absolutely consider the whole craziness of it all, and you begin to see, wow, God, you were in this from the very beginning, and you'll be in it right to the very end. And the beautiful thing is that your power is actually made more perfect in my weakness, because it's when I'm weak, you are strong. So if you're feeling like you're holding on by your fingertips today as you come to this end of a weird year 2020, can I say to you that Joseph and Mary were hanging on by theirs 2,000 years ago and we're here to tell the story today, aren't we? Let's pray. God, if uh, we just ask you that if there be any even listening online today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would speak into their life and into their heart right now, that you would move in your power, that you would move in your grace, that they would understand the power of that little verse that says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Father, I pray that will be the case. And for those that are struggling at this time of the year, maybe even a year that has brought grief and loss, Father, would you just come and would you bring your comfort May you make them realize that how we respond to the circumstances of life and how we understand how we can love you more and trust you more, even when you don't understand you, those are the times that bring power and anointing in our life, even when we're weak and broken. So God, we give our lives to you and ask you to bless your words in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.